0: Hi, welcome to podcast number 41 brought to you by Help with Parkinson's, a nonprofit corporation. Our guest today is Dr. Supermanian, a movement disorder specialist from Hershey Medical Center in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I am your host, Warren Butfenick. Today we have an interesting topic. It's dealing with going through all the problems of getting disability when you have Parkinson's and um, all the pitfalls and difficulties. A lot of people end up needing lawyers. So we're going to try to put some tips on there just to have people with Parkinson's disease know certain things that they could talk to their doctor about to make sure everything's progressing smoothly. Dr. Sue, you think you could uh, help us out with that?
1: Yes, uh, it's, a, I think, a wonderful topic. Thanks for choosing this, uh, Warren. So as an outset, um, Warren and I are talking about Parkinson's disease, and not any of the other diseases that look like Parkinson's disease, Um, what we call Parkinsonisms, and Parkinsonisms include a lot of other conditions, including multisystem atrophy, uh, progressive supranuclear palsy, drug-induced Parkinsonism, um, depression making it look like Parkinson's disease, traumatic brain injury looking like Parkinson's disease, stroke and stroke-like syndromes, Uh, what we call vascular Parkinsonism, and and many other conditions. So um, today's discussion is entirely on idiopathic Parkinson's disease, Parkinson's disease that has been described for 250 years, and uh, many patients have that condition. So we're exclusively talking about um, how one should approach disability uh, in this entity. And now, having made that clear, um, now we want to talk about... um, patients who have true idiopathic Parkinson's disease, and they have the classic uh, symptoms of tremor, slowness of movement, and as time goes on, um, their responsiveness to medication became less. Initially, they did well, and then um, several years later, they started developing uh, more side effects from the medication, such as dyskinesias, or they're having fluctuations, or they're having increasing tremor. At that point, um, you need to have a discussion with your doctor as to whether it makes sense to continue working or not. Uh, In majority of the cases, 90% of the cases, uh, when this question comes, uh, the real crux uh, pertains to what you're actually doing. Uh, It depends on the occupation. So to give you some tangible examples, if you're a veterinarian, or if you're a dentist, or if you're working in certain critical jobs where um, you need to be somewhat perfect, like, for example, if you're a policeman, um, fire service, or if you're working in some um, security operations where um, you need to be in perfect, perfect position, like if you're in the military, for example. Uh, here, it becomes much more of a PR, a public relations issue, because if you're a tremulous and you are a dentist, um, you're not gonna have a lot of clients. If you're a veterinarian and you're a tremulous, then again, uh, your pet dog, you don't want that uh, veterinary surgeon to operate on your pet dog because people don't think that he, he or she would be able to do a good job. And again, Warren's case, I'm sure Warren is open about talking about this, that his occupation required um, writing a lot, typing a lot, and also answering phone calls a lot. And this required hand dexterity being able to push the button on the keypads as well as on the phone um, and also writing uh, down things as uh, he's talking to his clients and so forth as a pharmacist. So um, such occupations, occupations that require uh, physical dexterity um, and manual dexterity or physical mobility uh, that is smooth, uh, coordinated, when that becomes problematic, and there's not much respite for it despite optimal treatment, then one has to start thinking, hey, maybe um, um, disability is an option. Now, Of course, we have exceptionally good treatment nowadays, so it's important that you see a movement disorder doctor, and the doctor has tried everything possible to optimize your medication. And if you have a possibility of getting um, more aggressive treatment, such as deep brain stimulation or duopa therapy or... Some of the other newer therapy, like focused ultrasound, of course you should think about those options as well. If those options are available and you can take, take advantage of these options and you can continue functioning and working, clearly there's an advantage. Um, there are many disadvantages to taking disability. Uh, of course, economic is the number one. Of course, health insurance is another issue, especially if you're a younger uh, Parkinson patient. And before you get your Medicare benefits, if you lose employment, um, your insurance benefits drop, and then because, then your medications become unaffordable for you, especially some of the um, newer medicines that are still under brand name and patented are very expensive. Even non-patented drugs for Parkinson's tend to be very expensive. Um, so it's important consideration to determine whether you can afford to go on to disability versus the need for disability. Now beyond these special circumstances, there are also other circumstances where you just simply cannot function. You're continuing to have more and more difficulty and you can't take employment anymore. Employment becomes burdensome. Employment pushes you at risk for injuries. Employment puts you at risk for injuring others, uh, especially, for example, if you're operating machinery or equipment at your job and That puts others at risk. These are all situations where you have to take disability. Now, this brings up the issue of how do you actually go about going for disability? So my advice in general is that if you're working for a relatively large size employer, then one should first ask for reasonable accommodation. And this is the ADA request, Americans with Disabilities Act, which was passed in the mid-'90s, has been in place. It's a federal law. And what you could ask for with your employer is some uh, adjustments. For example, if your job requires standing a lot, could you do it when you're sitting? If you're using a computer, can you ask for a special computer that has got larger keyboards, easier to manipulate, mouse, easier to manipulate um, other things? Can you have voice command for some of these things? Um, can you have better equipment, better seating equipment, better adjustable chairs, so on and so forth. And these can all be requested. Sometimes it's also helpful to get rest periods. So Parkinson patients can, um, you know, get a little rest in between so that they can take a break for about an hour and then recharge themselves and go back and do some more work. That's another possibility. Adjusting shifts, you know, instead of doing always nighttime shift uh, day after day, but trying to do shifts that are more reasonable may actually be an uh, easier way to, uh, manage things. Occasionally, there are some employers who can also provide assistance for uh, their uh, senior workers. They can get a, somebody to help them out. You know, I've had a, for example, an a accountant who got a scribe so the scribe was able to do some of the work for this person and that person was able to work for another five years using the scribe as an assistant. So that's another possibility. So all these possibilities should be explored And after that's been explored, and you already made a determination that you know because of Parkinson's, or because you have other comorbid situations, which is another important thing. You know, if you have arthritis, if you have back pain, and you have had um, other kinds of uh, illnesses, diabetes, hypertension, um, uh, other comorbid illnesses that makes it harder for your Parkinson management to be optimized. Then That also is an important consideration whether to take disability or not. Now, before you um, proceed to the disability uh, thing, you need to also explore what are the options that you have. If your employer already gives you short-term disability um, or you have uh, paid medical leave that you have stockpiled and you can take those medical leave days, you should consider taking them because that gives you full um, uh, salary For that time period and short term disability, depending on the plan will give you some amount of usually gives you significant amount of money, usually 90% of your salary for short term disability. And then, of course, long term disability, um, if you have that option, depending on what 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 uh, you paid for, and what your employer is giving you, sometimes give you 66% of your last salary, or sometimes give you 50% of your last salary. Now, all of these have limitations, they have time spans and durations. Again, I'm not an expert in these plans and I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert. I'm just going over 30 plus years of doing this. I've seen that whenever you do all these things in the in the sequence that you normally would like to do, meaning start first with ADA, then take short-term disability, then take the long-term disability, uh, it makes the case that you really try to stay employed as much as you can. Now, beyond this, then it becomes an issue of Um, How do you go for either Social Security disability um, and the appropriate paperwork for that? In most cases, it's best that the Social Security uh, disability application is supported by your primary care doctor's comprehensive assessment of your health. Um, Now, what that means is that it's not just for Parkinson's, but also everything else that you may have. Uh, whether it's high cholesterol or it's hypertension or diabetes or severe arthritis or previous injuries to your body, all these things need to be documented. It's best documented by your primary care doctor. Now, of course, it's very important that you get a very strong and full comprehensive assessment from your neurologist. And this is one thing that one has to pay real close attention to. So, for example, many of us movement disorder doctors use the unified Parkinson's disease rating scale during your visit. This is the, the test where we ask you to um, tap with your fingers and um, move your, um, make a fist and open the fist or rotate your palm up and down make you tap on the floor, get up in the chair, walk on the chair, etc. cetera. Now this tool, the Unified Parkinson's Disease Rating Scale is a good scale that tells you what's happening at the time that you come to see the doctor. However, and many, many, many Parkinson's patients know this extremely well, is that you could be in the doctor's office and you look golden, and then an hour later when you're walking to your car, Or an hour later when you are in your house, you could be so badly disabled that you can hardly able to move. And that's very, very common in Parkinson's disease. So obviously, just looking at the scores and numbers on the UPDRS in itself is not a good estimate of how much disability you have. So if there is a real need to document disability, then one needs to have that written up saying that you're having so much fluctuations, and uh, this is from this time to this time. You know, uh, when you're taking a medicines, you're getting only this many hours of benefit, and the other times you're off, or you're having lots of dyskinesia. And, and, or in some other different manner. There's there's a house or diary that you can fill out for documenting how many hours of off time and on time you have. Or, or just simply the doctor stating in a paragraph as that there's a lot of fluctuation going on, and that will be necessary to show that there is disability. Otherwise, it can look quite deceptive. Um, your write-up can be, uh, can be uh, interpreted by an inexperienced adjuster to indicate that the Parkinson's is gone or no longer there. Uh, especially if they see a bunch of zeros on the score, they might like, oh, this person doesn't have a lot of disability, which is not true at all. It just means that that time, at the time that the patient got to the doctor's office and the doctor was able to see him, uh, at that particular moment, the scores were pretty low. But as we just discussed, that's just a deceptive short period of time. Later on, if the patient was seen at a later time, there would be a lot more disability. So the, the the long and short of it is that a sequential approach to um, Taking disability um, has to be carefully thought through and uh, progressively brought to fruition, uh, including getting uh, a buy-in from both your neurologist as well as your primary care doctor after having done everything possible to stay on the job. And uh, oh, one more thing I uh, forgot to mention is that once you use up your short-term disability and you also use up your long-term disability, uh, many a time I even tell them to go uh, get your jobless benefits, your uh, uh, sign-in for your jobless benefits, which again is a federal benefit that you can take advantage of uh, for um, whatever period that you're eligible for. All of these things um, tells the adjuster that you, you made a good faith effort to stay on the occupation and that you tried everything possible to stay um, productive and that you just simply couldn't. Um, that just makes your case much stronger and makes your application much, much, much more uh, receptive to the adjuster. And it becomes harder for them to um, deny your claim. So that's sort of uh, uh, the point just that I have. Warren, I'm sure you have um, other thoughts.
0: Yeah, I could uh use myself an example, I guess. I I I I was 10 years on my job with Parkinson's and um I used those 10 years to investigate the best way to to get all these benefits cuz I know that Parkinson's is it keeps getting worse. And that's the thing you have to realize, you have to look ahead Parkinson's. So I checked with the person that did the uh disability insurance and check with social security. So I knew everything ahead of time, but I, in no way was I ready to leave work. So I just sort of kept that in the back of my mind. And as things got progressing, I, uh I wasn't as shocked and I was able to, to go and do everything in a timely manner. And I pretty much had everything wrapped up within a couple of months, which, uh you know, which is pretty good because, so definitely you have to plan ahead because you have to be knowledgeable of of the situation, Because I told Dr. Sue before we got on the air, my adjuster at my disability company said to me, it looks like you went a couple ones to zeros. So it looks like you're ready to go back to work. And I had explained to her that that's, that's not the way Parkinson's works, that nobody's ever actually gotten better. It may seem better because different times of the day. And uh, once I explained that to her, she never mentioned that again. So right. you, you can't be afraid to tell the truth and to pursue it. If, you, if you, know what, you know what you have, you go to a good doctor, you go to a specialist, and you can't just agree with somebody because they're on the other end of a phone. And the worst case is you just tell your doctor, this person is thinking of taking me off. Could you send another letter out? Right. Because I think that's why a lot of people end up being denied up front and they have to get a lawyer. And uh, eventually they get, they get it, but it's very time-consuming.
1: Agree. Uh, As we were chatting before we went on air here, um, I've had many situations where I had to um, go and fight for disability for uh, my patients. Uh, One particularly colorful example was that young lady um, who put in almost 20 years of work um, in her late 40s came down with Parkinson's disease. Um, She fought tooth and nail. Her disease did really well for another Uh, 10 years, just like uh, Warren uh, was talking. She also did a real effort to stay at the job, but um, as time went on she became um, having more and more disability and we tried to optimize her medically. We even considered surgery for her, but um, at the end of the day, she really could not um, get the full benefits uh, of medication or any kind of therapy to uh, keep her in the job. Um, At that time she applied And very interestingly, um, her claims adjuster from her uh, insurance company as well as the people who were trying to give her the disability or uh, assessing her disability decided to send um, uh, an investigator incognito, you know, basically a a person who would put a candid camera. And they made a video of her shopping at the grocery store um, at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, which showed that she was walking perfectly normally towards her car and getting into her car and driving away. And they used that to claim that she didn't have any Parkinson's at all, that this was a false claim. Now, I had to go make another video to show that um, the 12 o'clock video was made uh, just one hour after she took her medicine, but the same individual another two hours later looked quite different. There's so much disability that, she needed assistance to walk and that she had to hold on to somebody and that she was vulnerable for falling, which is the truth that there's so much variability in in Parkinson's that um, within a few hours, you can be a totally different person. And I had to actually uh, make this video and go show this video um, to a claims adjuster in a hearing um, and defend um, the person's claim. Uh, We were successful but it was an aggravation because we had to go through it. And we we're quite surprised that um, the, uh, there was a person who actually made a video and made the claim that this was a false um, claim for Parkinson's, despite having uh, almost 10 years worth, of, actually more than 10 years worth of very detailed records. Uh, not just records, you know, this person had also participated in several research studies, and this was also documented in the chart Um, and uh, all of this was provided uh, at the time that the claim was made. So I just gave you one example of how sometimes it can be quite hard um, because the claims adjusters are not knowledgeable, and unfortunately there are people who do fraudulent claims, and because there have been significant fraudulent claims, uh, the adjusters are also very sensitized, and they're sometimes asked to prove and double-prove things. Um, and I, again, I was telling Warren, um, it's the few people who uh, abuse the system that create trouble for the people who really deserve disability and the benefits of disability. It makes the, the life of others hard. So wish people wouldn't be abusing, but of course, that's for asking for a perfect world, which really doesn't happen either.
0: Right. And there's one thing I, I forgot to say is probably the most important thing is don't quit your job. Don't don't feel like you can't do your job and just tell your boss you're, you're quitting because then you're, you're totally without disability benefits.
1: Agreed. So I think that's very important that, you know, when you're getting frustrated, you're having difficulties with your work, um, don't just abruptly resign your job. I think this would be the worst thing to do. Uh, sometimes you have the impulse to say, oh, it's so frustrating. I just want to quit and I want to sign my papers and leave. This would be not a good move. Um, Whenever you feel like that, you know, take a break, take some time off, uh, chill, you know, go see your doctor or try to call the doctor or the nurse and just have a chat Um, and ask for some of the things that we chatted about. uh, ADA, taking some personal medical leave, um, some of those uh, short-term disability even if you need to take some time off and um, and then try to rejoin or, or go from full-time to part-time, all the things that we just talked about, trying to preserve your job and your health insurance benefits is actually a good thing because that, that shows that you did everything possible to stay um, productive. And then if you go for a disability application, then your case is very, very strong because you did not abruptly just simply say, well, I'm stopping working.
0: Right. And, and also it's a, uh... Luckily, there's Obamacare that you can get your health insurance with, but the deductible is about six thousand dollars. Right. So that's that's another thing people don't realize. If you if you de- if you say, "Well, I'll quit my job, I can get by with a little money saved up, and I get my Obamacare health insurance," it's not going to help you for the first six thousand dollars. Right.
1: That's true. Um, and again, that that's I mean, there are many other plans as well, but. Uh, Obamacare or the ACA, Americans, uh, the ACA is still available. Uh, Of course, we'll see how things will change in the few months ahead because I know there's a move um, that it might actually go away, but we'll see. Uh, Regardless, at the present time, it is available, and for those who uh, remain eligible, that's another option. If you're younger, pre-Medicare, and you don't have insurance, that's something that we really should think about. Uh, The other aspect is whether your spouse uh, has insurance and if you can get some of the insurance coverage through your spouse, um, that's an important consideration. We can talk about this in later uh, another show where how do you compare your own benefits to your spouse's benefits and how does one um, switch benefits when uh, the need comes to no longer work and then you're having a new healthcare plan? How do you choose the correct healthcare plan that would cover both you and your spouse when that happens. And that's an important consideration as well. Um, if, if both you and your spouse are working and that there's another source of income and another source of health insurance uh, that that's, uh, comes into the picture. Um, so all those are important considerations, but I think we covered today the main topic, which is um, how do you approach um, disability in Parkinson's disease?
0: Right. And then we could do another show, I guess, on, uh, whether to keep it a secret at work and different professions that I think, I, th- I think lawyers are very concerned about it getting out that they have Parkinson's.
1: I, I agree. I mean, I think um, I had um, once a trial lawyer um, who's very, actually very, very good. Um, he was practicing uh, in the state of Ohio where I used to um, work. And this gentleman was a very successful lawyer, uh, trial lawyer. And he kept losing case after case once he came down with Parkinson's because the jury um, that uh, was uh, on his cases would not believe him because he had tremor when he was arguing his cases and they thought he was lying. And after he lost about four or five high profile cases, his partners came back and said, you know, Ann, you know, you need to possibly consider not working. And uh, that's when he approached us. Uh, of course, we kept him in his employment for another four or five years with optimal medications. Uh, eventually, he uh, changed. Uh, to a different um, law uh, type of practice. He was more a consultant. He was doing more banking law and civil law rather than criminal law, although he was very, very good at what he did, and he was one of the very prominent lawyers um, in the state of Ohio when I was working there. So, yeah, it can be quite dramatic. Um, I, I already gave you some examples of dentists, um, uh, fire, firefighters is another example, where if they walk around with a little bit of tremor, you know, the community doesn't think that he will be able to douse a fire or climb a ladder to take a cat down from the top of the, uh, uh, a tree or whatever uh, because they think the tremor will interfere. I had a very dramatic example of this. A uh, young man, when, I, again, I was working in Ohio, he was a, a career firefighter and uh, the police chief, uh, sorry, the fire chief uh, tried to put this guy out of his job And so um, we asked them to do the periodic testing where they would wear all their gear and run with the hose um, uh, 500 feet. Um, And this guy scored 99th percentile on all the tests on two separate occasions. And still the fire chief wanted to put him on disability. And we basically sued the fire company and the, the municipality where they were trying to get him out of the uh, his job, and I had to testify in court um, that this guy is in 99th percentile. Why would he need to go on disability? And he won the case, um, but that's what it takes sometimes. You know, you should have to fight for it. And uh, he stayed in his job for another five more years. A young man with the two young daughters who went to high school at the time when this all thing happened, and he was the sole breadwinner. His wife didn't have any job, and she was a homemaker. And uh, he had two girls, one 16, another uh, 12, and they were in uh, school. And if he had to go to disability, this would have been devastating for him. So he stayed another five years, and then he became a fire inspector. And he um, that was a different job. That doesn't require him to wear the gear and run. And he worked, as far as I know, for another 10 years um, and happily retired since then, as far as I know. So, uh, I can give you many, many examples, colorful examples of how things happen. But, uh,
0: right. Yeah. And I'm wondering if the people like this type of format. It's a little different than what we normally do. If they would write to us on the website, maybe we could have more formats, a little bit more personal nature like this.
1: Definitely. I think I would love to do such programs. I mean, we've been doing a mix of different kinds of formats. I think it's uh, hopefully um, very informative and helpful to our patients. We hope to hear from more of you, and uh, please feel free to write to Warren, and uh, and we will try to include as many programs as we can.
0: Yes, definitely. Well, thanks, thanks for coming on the show, Dr. Sue.
1: Okay, take care. Bye. Bye.